What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is David Patrick Harry with Church of the Eternal Logos. And tonight, I want to talk to you guys about our lost civilization and how Christ civilized the world. And so tonight's stream actually got spawned from me uh, reading this book right here, The Silk Road, A New History of the World. This is by uh, Peter Frankopan. This is a very famous and popular book, uh, and I do recommend it. Now, of course, he's not a Christian, and, and uh, this isn't a theological text or anything like that. It's more of a historical overview of uh, the Silk Road. And I've been, as I told you before, been very interested. A lot of my research has been diving into... Uh, Mithraism. I've been very, you know, multiple texts on Zoroastrianism, looking into many of the Mithraic cults and the spread of Gnosticism within the Byzantine Empire and into Sassanian, uh, Sasanian, uh, Persia. And so I thought, oh man, I'd like to read more and have a better overview of the Silk Road. And upon reading chapter two or three, I forget which one inside this book, I'm actually going to read a section to you guys for tonight's stream. Um, he talks about the welcoming uh, arms that many of the Persians, many of the people of the steppes had as Christianity began to spread in that 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century eastward. Now, obviously, that was the Church of the East. So when we look at the, the seven ecumenical councils, you know, they're going to be uh, monophysites. They're going to be much more Nestorian than we would appreciate. But... There's a lot of interesting things that he talks about how uh, the reason why Christianity was so rapidly adopted uh, by so many different people, uh, cultures, groups, languages, was because it began to civilize the cultures that they lived in. It began to normalize things that the multiplicity of people appreciated. And so, again, we're going to read some of this, but it, it talks about um, how one of the reasons Christianity was welcomed was because of its uh, resistance against incest and that people were marrying their mothers. There's actually examples of that. And that Christianity, as it spread, the Christians would speak out publicly in opposition to these things. Same with idol worship. And, and so, as I talk about Christ civilizing the world, obviously that's a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, because there's been a lot of great civilizations uh, well before uh, the life of Christ. You know, we can look at, you know, I think some of the uh, what, what's considered the higher civilizations. We have the Babylonian, we have the Egyptian the Chinese, the Indian, the Mesoamerican, uh, classical Greco-Roman, uh, then, of course, the, the Arabian or the Persian, uh, more Persian than Arabian, and then, uh, then European uh, in, the, in more contemporary terms. So those are considered some of the great civilizations of world history. Now, obviously, Christ and his presence isn't uh, before many of these uh, earlier civilizations. However, civilization itself is 
tied with the growth of literacy, with the spread of language, written language, all these different things that we can understand as the logos, right? The Word of God, that Greek philosophical concept rooted in an understanding of an objective epistemology. But really what we're going to be focusing on is an objective morality and ethic. That's really what Christianity began to do as it civilized the world. And so... Any, despite many of those great civilizations uh, existing previous, we see idol worship. We see this worship of creation over a creator. Again, uh, Aristotle had to deal with the unmoved mover. Uh, <laughs> just logically, uh, again, unless you have a presupposition that creation itself is eternal, which I think, again, some of the contemporary theories about the the multiverse allow a sort of pagan understanding of a sort of eternal creation. And that's really the premise, is that the reason why it's titled Lost Civilization is that Really, when we begin to look at what, how Christianity and its morality and its objective ethics began to civilize the world, we'll see that really we're moving right back into that pre-Christian world. Now, of course, there was civilization then, and, and there's going to be civilization after, uh, well, I mean, during this global collapse, this globalism, this great reset, however you want to understand it, but the idol worship, the worship of statues, the worship of, of living uh, human people, um, cannibalism. This was something of among the people of the steppes, um, <clears throat> that the people of the steppes, it was known, and, and we, we understand the, the Huns, Attila and the Huns, how they, they come and they be, <laughs> begin to sack many of these uh, more civilized people and force the Huns, actually force the Byzantine Empire to form alliance with the Sassanian Persian Empire, again, they're great enemies, and you can think of many of the, the much of the Zoroastrianism and Mithraism of the uh, Archimedes and the uh, Parthian empires within Persia. You know, you think of Xerxes back in the those earlier days. I'm sure we've all seen the movie 300. But with the people of the steppes, these nomadic people, we don't consider nomadic people, quote-unquote, a civilization. Again, a civilization is tied to more sedentary, agricultural, written language, the develop of things like poetry, uh, stuff like that. And so uh, many of the people of the steppes, um, well, they were nomads. They rode horses. They conquered. Yes, they were great warriors. And we can see that continued into the Mongols with Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun. And they, again, according to examples from this book, uh, the, the people of the steppes, it was known, would participate in, in cannibalism. Most specifically, the people that they conquered. They would literally eat their flesh. Of course, I've, I've done videos showing how Richard Dawkins and many of the global elite talk about growing human meat inside laboratories for the consumption of meat. Of course, we all know about uh, Billy Gates and his preference for us to all eat soy burgers. But um, other things that Christianity spoke out against were uh, such as homosexuality and a strict heterosexual understanding of the relations between men and women. Promotions of family. Now, again, I think general, a lot of these ancient civilizations, they also promoted, generally speaking, uh, family, but uh, certainly homosexuality. And, and we can point to the Greco-Roman world where, where man-boy love was very common. 
very common. Uh, we can look at the uh, sanctity of life. Again, the way that Christianity spread was through martyrdom. Unlike, again, we could point to Islam, that kind of it spread by the sword. Christianity was actually persecuted by the Greco-Roman Empire, by the Romans. They were in the arena. They were participating against the gladiators. They were being slaughtered for public entertainment. And when Christianity, when Constantine converted and Christianity became that official religion, what happens? That stuff is outlawed because there's a new sanctity for human life. And we can understand that even in regards to the contemporary debates with abortion. I mean, again, I would hate to be a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist, but maybe there's an agenda to sacrifice a tons of people and a great reset to lower global population on the planet. Who knows? I mean, I would never, never would suspect such a thing, but I've heard people say that type of stuff. So I think certainly we're living in a time where the sanctity of human life is on the decline. Where when we look at this transition from the early Christian world in, in the background of the pagan world it comes from, there was a newfound appreciation for life itself. And so we can also look at relativism. Now, of course, we have the Greco-Romans uh, and many of the philosophers. You can point to Heraclitus. Again, this development of this concept of logos from Heraclitus uh, you know, a, a new understanding of the one and the many through the, the pre-Socratics, uh, Plato, Aristotle, the Stoics, Neoplatonism. They were also talking about logos and they were developing a type of objective epistemology. But Christianity, especially Orthodox Christianity, goes a lot further when it says that logos that Plato was talking, that logos that Aristotle referenced, that logos that Heraclitus was describing is incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, br bridging, again, the creator and creation itself. So in a way, Christ then is filling that void where he enters into a world where everybody's worshiping creation, and he's saying, look, I am that which is uncreated, and I'm bridging, I'm bringing you towards that realm of the uncreated, the Holy Trinity. And again, the Holy Trinity we talked about right there solves the one and the many. We have one essence, three persons. Pythagoras talked about three as the first number of plurality. But the big one is the new understanding of ethics. And so one can... Look at uh, Martin Palmer's book. I've discussed this before, the Jesus Sutras, and, and Christianity's The Church of the East and its entrance into China, again, via the Silk Road. But that was during the Tang Dynasty, again, the great Tang Dynasty of the, of the Chinese dynastic empires. And what was, uh, what was the reception of Christianity? Well, the Tang emperors called it the religion of light. It was warmly welcomed. The Tang Dynasty was preferentially Taoist, and eventually, as one of the emperors die and his wife takes over, it reverts back to, it, well, not back to, but it goes in the focus of Buddhism. And so you can, uh, it's interesting because this book will talk about how Christianity was in opposition to slavery, but Buddhism was building their temples by means of slavery. And so uh, Christianity was able to galvanize a lot of support among the Chinese and the Tang dynasty because they were not they were in opposition against this stuff. And in fact, the, China, uh, the Christians that were there, yes, Nestorian, yes, Church of the East, but one of the reasons why the Tang emperors loved them so much is that they were willing to fight the Mongols. 
Uh, again, if you understand the ancient Chinese empire, it was the, that northwest region where it was really open and susceptible to the Mongols and, and, and various forces that would want to conquer. So it's interesting to also note that Christianity was in opposition to slavery. Now you'd say, whoa, 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 Patrick, what are you talking about? I've read my history and I know the basis of the American empire, and that was all based on slavery. Well, I would say uh, that this lost civilization, um, it really begins to fracture. Again, we can think of post-schism. Uh, 1054, we can think of the Enlightenment as this moving back towards that pagan idealized world with the Renaissance, uh, Marsilio Ficino and the Italian Renaissance and this new newfound uh, love for pagan magic and hermeticism and Neoplatonism and the Chaldean oracles and this new concept that was really profound at the time called perennialism, that all religions are based on an ancient wisdom, the ancient wisdom is what's true, and then everything else has been diluted moving forward in time. So... Slavery, in, in its more traditional sense, was uh, uh, the way that people think of it. Again, the Atlantic slave trade, that great triangular slave trade. I would, I would say, you know, who owned those ships? Who owned those ships? Uh, in, in, interesting research to get into there. Uh, I'm not going to dive into it. But reading this book, it's interesting to note that Christianity stood in opposition to incest. It stood in opposition to human sacrifice and animal sacrifice. It stood in opposition to idol worship. It stood in opposition to cannibalism. It stood in opposition to homosexuality and these sort of, um, we we could call, I guess, transgenderism, transsexualism, these sort of uh, uh, amorphic forms of sexual presentation. It stood in opposition to relativism. It stood in opposition uh, to um, in this, many of the ancient pagan ethical systems, and therefore it brought this new sanctity of human life. And I would have to give credit where credit is due. Zoroastrianism itself, when the Sassanian Empire tried to establish a sort of orthodox Zoroastrianism, it too was in opposition to the Mithraic cults that were still doing human sacrifice and animal sacrifice. So, uh, very interesting stuff. Now, my point with this lost civilization is that when we look at the contemporary period... Every day, we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everything that Christianity seems like it stood against is now sort of regressing. And, and I've done a video before. I did a stream called The Progressive Regression. And that's really what it is. It's a progressive regression back to our pre Christian pagan roots, where when you look at incest, I mean, uh, again, it's 
there's there's this weird thing I, I've seen in our culture, uh, even the uh, again the, the 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 absolute evils of pornography, and I've you know this whole like incestual love thing I've seen on TikTok. I've seen I've seen a thing on TikTok where a girl shares like her boyfriend or husband with her mom. Very strange things going on. Again, in this sort of newly found progressive pagan culture that we're entering in, uh, it's hard to sort of wrap your mind around idol worship. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think people are worshiping a lot of created things as opposed to the creator. We can look at brands, look at the Supreme brand, look at Gucci and Versace and all these different things that people want. They literally label themselves with brands to then identify the sort of social cults that they're a part, right? This is tied to social status, the cars you drive, the brands of cars, all this stuff. It's another form of a worshiping the creation itself. Very strange. We can look at corporations. Again, I'm team Pfizer. I'm team Moderna. I'm team Johnson. What is this? This is, this is again, a feeling of a void because, again, we're reverting back to a pre-Christian world. We're reverting back to idols. We're reverting back to a, a worship of created things. Celebrities. Why do we call them stars? Because people are navigating their lives based on a sort of astrological understanding on our celebrities. These are the new Gemini twins. These are the new uh, Sagittarius and, and, and the constellations and the Zodiac and all this different. It's now being embodied in the through, uh, and I would argue through a form of actual ritual, ritual magic in these forms of celebrities, these embodied celebrities to manipulate the minds of people. Again, reverting back to pre-Christian forms of worship. People are worshiping themselves their own will. This is the basis of magic. Anybody needs to read a little bit of Aleister Crowley and understand the basis of Thelema. Do what thou wills. That is the highest of the law. I think many people, again, when we look at this whole, like, my truth, our truth, everybody has their own truth. This is like, again, this sort of relativism that early Christianity was in opposition against that was found in various pagan societies uh, in pursuit of objective understandings, objective measurements. And yes, they were developed throughout the Greek philosophical tradition, of course. But Christianity is the crown jewel. It, it builds upon all the good things of the ancient world. And that's, again, when Christ's message then, love your neighbor as yourself, pray for your enemies. You think that was a common message in the ancient world, pray for your enemies? When that when it was it, it was more common to kill your enemies and drink wine from their skull, or uh, you know care for the least among us, human life had no sanctity during this time. Who cared about the poor? It only mattered about the the wealthy. It only mattered about those who had power. Truth will set you free. This is a message of Christ. And of course, truth is a who, not a what. It is Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's through his way that is true, and by means of it, you gain eternal life. Knowledge is power. And I think this is in a way where, and I've talked about this before, uh, shout out to Father Deacon and everybody who is going to Montanica. I actually just bought my Montanica flight tickets today, but... The sort of uh, Oswald Spengler in The Decline of the West talks about the sort of Faustian pack Western Europe made in this pursuit of knowledge 
scientific knowledge, empirical knowledge, and how, again, it, 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 it divorced itself from the entire ethical, metaphysical system that really gave basis for the rise and prominence of Europe in the first place. You know, Europe had very little in regards to great civilizations. You could point, uh, you know, maybe to, you know, again, civilization was, if you look up a definition, it's based on higher levels of, of language, written language, buildings, numbers, cities, uh, impact on, on the greater world, uh, transnational trade. Europe was, a, was tribal. It doesn't matter if you're on the British Isles. doesn't matter if you're in the Scandinavians. It doesn't matter if you're looking at the Germanic and the Frankish tribes. Europe was tribal. And, it, and that's why even when the Roman Empire was in its prime, you know, think of Alexander the Great. He, he was looking for glory. He didn't go north into Europe. He went east into Persia. He went east into India. He went east into China. He went towards, again, those great civilizations that were already existing. Europe didn't really have a great civilization. It's really the adoption and the conversion of Europe to Christianity that gives it its prestigious status in world history. It really didn't have anything in the ancient period. Yes, there is, you know, we can point to the Druids and we can point to the Irish and we can point to the Vikings and we can point to the Visigoths and all these different groups. But again, they're tribal, they're pagan. It, to a large degree, they're nomadic. They're hunter-gatherers. This isn't what we would consider by definition great civilizations, great forms of poetry. And that's why we see so much overlap between their forms of pagan mythology and symbolism and understanding of the world and, and this sort of um, you know, anthropomorphism of natural elements, the god of water, the god of wind, the god of the sun, the god of the mountain, all this different stuff. This is this sort of anthropomorphization of the natural world as a way for these ancients, the pagans, these nomadics, these less civilized people. And that's why we called them barbarians. They're, they're, they're barbarians because of this lack of, of what we would call civility. And that's why Christ in this new ethic, this new moral message brought civility. Again, when we'll read this in this book on the Silk Road, that it was warmly welcomed by people. They weren't Jewish. They didn't know about Christ. But as the Christians began to enter into their kingdoms, forced, often because the Roman Empire was persecuting them, forced to enter Persia, forced to enter the, the central steppes, forced to enter the Caucasus region, it was actually warmly welcomed because when these Christians came, they didn't participate in a lot of these activities. And so Christianity brought a moral framework for Europe. Europe didn't have much. Again, and it, and it collectivized many of these tribes to give a singular identity. Something that E. Michael Jones has talked about, and, and I do agree with him on this point, is that Christianity also gave a basis for the European peoples to build a work ethic a work ethic that allowed them to find um, identity and, and work and skill sets and to build things. This new understanding of building and building and building. And, and we can look then look at the difference of European civilization before Christianity and after Christianity. And I do think this new concept of labor that it brought definitely, definitely affected Europe in a, in a very positive way. And it built, again, agreed-upon moral values. 
So these tribes that were, again, antagonistic, fighting uh, at each other's throats as Christianity began to spread, of course, it was always, you know, the, 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 the Franks and the Germans, you know, they, they don't always get along. Uh, you know, look at Napoleon, look, look at many of the world, you know, the history of Europe. It's still when it, it would fall apart and fight each other. But I would say this is, again, that movement away from Christ. That movement away from those positive attributes that Christ and Christianity actually brought to those peoples. And so, it, it, like I said, it allowed a shared identity. And it, and it brought these Europeans to stop worshiping the creation. Stop worshiping the trees, you druids. Stop worshiping, um, you know, the... <laughs> Odin, stop worshiping uh, various, again, these anthropomorphized pagan deities and realize that God is separate from creation, that creation exists in temporal time. Therefore, it has a beginning, a middle and an end. And therefore, it is not God. There is separate and distinct from God. And God is up here. And we must, again, show our devotion towards the Almighty. A concept, again, that was already uh, moving in that direction regarding Zoroastrianism. We have to give credit to monotheism. Monotheism is certainly a precursor that allowed people to, again, adopt Christianity at a higher and higher rate. Zoroastrianism and its emphasis on monotheism and uh, Ahura Mazda as the sole deity this was profound in worldly religion. And we've talked about how Zoroastrianism is sort of a, a Persian reinterpretation of the Rig Veda, the Vedic system coming out of India, coming out of ancient India, which again was Indo-European. It was Aryan. It was Aryan. And so when we look then at, uh, look at the 20th century, look at Stalin, atheist, right? Was the, 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 the communist Soviet Union, the communist party was the Bolsheviks were absolutely against Christianity. Hitler, I've heard people talk about, well, Hitler was, he was backed by the Pope. Again, I have very uh, critical opinions of Catholicism and the papacy. Uh, no, Hitler was very much interested in magic. I have his favorite magic book over there on my shelf. He was very much interested in the occult. This is where he understood the, the symbolism of the swastika, moving back to the ancient Aryan religion. He understood the Aryans. Yes, they conquered those people of the Indus Valley. Yes, they conquered those people that we called Persians. Those are Indo-Iranian. Yes, the Aryans, the, the same people, the, the Armenians, right? That's another branch of the Indo-European tree that... Hitler understood this and he said, wow, the Indo-Europeans, they must be the ultimate race of people of which the Germans, the Germanic branch is its own linguistic and racial branch of that Indo-European tree. And he said, ah, but the blue eyed and the blonde haired German Aryan must then be at the very echelon, the very top of this Aryan, this Indo-European branch, this tree of civilization that continually dominated people and had an important historical uh, force. So I would say, no, Hitler was not quote unquote Christian. Hitler was very much into magic, very much into pagan and very much into these old ancient Indo-European beliefs. You look at Mao again, he killed more people than any of them. What were the, was that Christian? No, it's an opposition against. And so we see this, this, uh, irreverence to human life and a direct response against Christianity. So Christianity brought with it a new global ethic. That is, when we talk about human rights, when we talk about the EU or, oh my gosh, can you believe what's happening in Yemen? Based on what? 
Based on what ethic? Based on what standard? When we look at the historical standards of the world, all that stuff is permitted. Might makes right, doesn't it? Isn't the world Darwinian? Doesn't that mean that it's, it's the survival of the fittest? Doesn't that mean that Saudi Arabia is allowed to do what they're doing? Doesn't that mean that Russia is allowed to do what they're doing? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Again, on what moral basis are you objecting to it? And when you look at the atheists, when you look at the progressives, all it is is a bastardized form of the ethic and the moral system that Christ brought to the world. And they don't understand that. So this whole idea of, of this uh, you know, global human rights, well, where does that come from? Where, where's the sanctity of, of human rights? And meanwhile, it's the same people that promote abortion at, la- at mass scale, which I would say is, again, pre-Christian. It's back to, um, back to um, the, these pagan traditions. But human rights and tyrannical violence, why is all that stuff bad? Based on what? Based on who? It's based on this adopted sort of global Christian morality as Europe, again, in certain ways, and, and it acted in various ways that were very unchristian as well. I'm not here to be some apologist for Europe and, and uh, some of the atrocities that happened. No, but at the same time, we can recognize the literacy. We can recognize the lack of, of uh, civil, civilized behavior, the we can understand, you know, again, was the Aztecs getting high on mushrooms and then cutting the head off one of their one of their slaves and drinking their blood? Would we consider that high culture? Would we consider that a civility? No. OK, then based on what? Based on Christianity, based on the message of Christ. So. It's the coherency of this Logos theology that, again, claimed a universalism, that the morality, the ethics are universal. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what place, doesn't matter what tradition, doesn't matter what race. And so the objective standard of epistemology, which is tied, again, back to the Greek philosophical tradition and this understanding of Logos in the first place, it was still... Again, from our understanding, that was Christ. They were, they were slowly un, un, discovering the sort of metaphysics of who is incarnating as the second person as Jesus Christ within space and time, of which then the Jews were being called through the law. What, what's the law doing? What was the law of Moses doing? What was the first covenant doing? Trying to civilize these people. And then Christ, he ends that law. He fulfills that law and he brings the second covenant. 
And this second covenant is to civilize the world, not just the Jews. And everybody's open to it, Jew and Gentile. This is new. This is novel. And so we can look at the coherency of Logos theology, deification. Yes, Xerxes thought he was a God incarnate. And I would say many people, and I would say, you know, world leaders that probably still exist now, think of themselves as incarnated deities. And I think some people allow themselves to be possessed by various ancient gods or, again, ultimately the evil one in our, in our framework, in our paradigm, in our understanding of the world. But Christianity says, no, theosis, the way you become deified is you live based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is how you become deified. This is how you move into eternity. This is how you have everlasting life. This is you engage with that energy. All right. So thermodynamics, we've talked about how energy thermodynamics, heat is the description of energy. Coldness is the description of the absence of that thermal energy, that thermal energy. That is the way we understand God in the Orthodox Christian worldview. It's all based on energies. We can understand this, you know, understandings of vibes and inner, the world is energetic and it's only sustained and perpetuated by the uncreated energies of the Trinity. We can look at the redemption of creation. Many pagan civilizations may talk about this, but again, it's God entering into humanity, entering into a human body that then re-sanctifies the entire world. The baptismal waters of Christ, the baptismal waters that float over the actual body of the incarnated God have flowed everywhere around the world. Creation itself has been redeemed and is going to be fully redeemed on the second coming. And so that, that redeeming of creation then we see how it's sort of bastardized and tainted and slightly distorted with millenarianism. It can be Marx, Karl Marx and his understanding of, of fulfilling the Hegelian dialectic of the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the, you know, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat and that, you know, the, the capitalism is the, is the thesis and we have to form the antithesis of communism and that synthesis then brings us into uh, the, the utopia. It could be the, the new globalism, the new utopia, all this sort of utopian speech and millenarianism sadly has been a, a very prominent feature of Christianity within America. Everybody thinks that we're getting ready to enter into the promised land. We're getting ready to enter into the promised land. Well, that's not how the story goes. According to scripture, according to Christianity, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And then it ties back into this loss of civilization. We see how we're moving back towards the pre-Christian world. All these things that Christianity was against, the incest, the idol worship, the cannibalism, the homosexuality, the animal and human sacrifice, the slavery. That's the, that's the world we live in now. And so the millenarianism, we look at, you know, the, the singularity, the, singularity the, the, new, the, the, the technocrats, it's a new it's the new American religion and that's a whole stream I need to do soon when I get back from California is the religion of America is now this religion of the technocrats it's the transhumanism it's the blending with the machines this is the utopia this is the promised land we're almost there right we're almost there and I would say the technology and some of these jibber jabbers uh, this is the beginning of the transhumanist movement. And again, scripture then talks about the mark of the beast. And we see how these are sort of dialectically opposed to each other.
And so, again, what we are watching is the progressive regression. We're regressing back towards the pre-Christian world. And what Christianity overcome is now being renormalized. And what the global pagan domination is, this is the global climate change. This is the reverting us back to the worship of nature, back to the worship of creation. I just watched a video this past week of a woman ta uh, talking about how she's a vegan and talking and, and literally, literally said she was willing to commit suicide to save the planet. What is this? What is this ideology? What is this worldview? This is, again, this ancient pagan worldview where, again, she wants to self-sacrifice herself, not for that ethic that Christ brought, but for Gaia, but for the nature gods, back to our pagan origins. And that's what globalism is. When, when Christianity spread, oh, you have, again, the, the Greek church, the Antiochian church, the church of Jerusalem, the church of Constantinople. You know, you had the Bulgarian church eventually when the, when the Southern Slavs and the Western Slavs and, and, you know, when they all converted. You get the, the Russian Orthodox and the Bulgarian Orthodox. This is because Christianity recognizes people's cultures, identities. They need to be preserved. What is globalism doing right now? It's destroying that. You get, you get no cultural identity. You get nothing. You only get to be a global citizen of the global religion, of the global world, of which is a reversion back to paganism, which renormalizes, the, the, again, everything that Christianity was in opposition to, the incest, the idol worship, the cannibalism, the homosexuality, the animal and human sacrifice, and of course, slavery. And we're all going to become slaves. It's not just, it's not slaves on a plantation. Uh, the entire, the, the social stratification of the world right now, the allocation of resources, this is a global plantation. We're on a prison planet. Again, as a group of people that I'm sure you are familiar with like to describe. And so the world is under the dominion of man's will. And because of us moving away from God, moving away from that Christian ethic, we are in exactly the death cult. That's where we're at. And that's what the world has always been. But Christ brought life to the world. And that is, again, how Christ civilized the world. He brought a new ethic of life. And that's ultimately what his life was. And he had to die, he had to, die to defeat the death cult. But the death cult is still very much alive. And in the name of progress, we are becoming less civilized. Think about it. Look at the people around us. Look at the TikTok videos. Look at all the videos of our society. We're literally becoming less civilized. Look at the, the respect. People are less respectful towards each other. Absolutely no question about it. Think about the responsibility. People want less and less and less responsibility because they don't want that burden. They want the government to give them their UBI. They want, they want everything given to them. They want all their food delivered to them. And what does this do? It, it actually is moving them towards the death cult. But you see, Christ's message is that, no, if you want freedom, you have to be even more responsible. You have to be more responsible. And of course, the affirming of life. I just watched a video of a group in the United States literally protesting that nobody should have kids. Now, specifically, they said white people shouldn't have kids, but the leader said nobody should have kids. What is this? This is not the affirmation of life. 
This is not the affirmation of life. This is the exact opposite. Family. Again, family is considered a, a bad word now. Look at, look at the amount of people who prefer a career, who prefer, again, working for the sort of global enterprises of the world as opposed to forming a family, forming real relationships, forming a real sense of love, forming a real communal reality. And again, that's what a civilization is. A civilization is a pluralistic enterprise. And as we're becoming less civilized, we're becoming more, more individualized in the sense that we, we worship ourselves more, which ironically destroys the, the unique individual and personhood within people. So as they begin to worship themselves, they all become more and more alike. Isn't it a paradox? It's so ironic. It's so ironic. And so the, the idea of meritocracy, work and skill, all this stuff has been thrown out the window as we become less and less civilized. And like I said, we are now back to worshiping created things, brands, corporations, celebrities, ourselves, the universe, um, worldly power, money. And so civilization is about collective community. It's about collectivity. It's about each other. And that's why the ethic, the shared ethic, that's how you and I have trust with each other. Think about when you drive on the road. Think about how easy it would be for somebody just to steer, just drive over the yellow line and drive right head on into you. But they don't. In a sense, we have a shared ethic that, that, that that's part of the social fabric of people, right? The, the sort of sanctity of people. In a way, people also don't want to die, so they don't want to do it to themselves. But Civilization is about collectivity. It's about community. And, and that's what Christ is about. Communion, communication, community. And so uh, we see all this stuff being eroded. And in the name of collectivity, in the name of progressivism, in the name of globalism, what it is is self-worship, which is the recapitulation of the fall of Lucifer, which then brings people closer to death makes them more enslaved, makes them more malleable by, by powers that be, and in fact is reverting us back to the pre-Christian pagan world. And so that is today's stream. Guys, please smash that like if you are with me. Uh, please smash that like. Uh, I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. I want to make a few quick announcements here, and then we're going to get, uh, we're going to dive into the Silk Roads book that I want to read to you guys. First one is I am going to California to spend time with my girlfriend uh, this next week. I'll be flying out tomorrow morning. So uh, no more streams for a full week. No more streams here on Church of the Eternal Logos for a full week. And uh, I'm going to take some time off and I'm going to think and I'm going to regroup. I'm going to refresh and I'm going to come back, uh, re-energize, reinvigorated. And you're going to see a new codal when I get back. Uh, better content. Uh, a better website. We're going to get premium memberships. We're going to get uh, new things going over at the website. We're going to get a reading list. We're going to get a lot of new stuff going uh, when I get back. I really want to take this time to reevaluate this whole Church of the Eternal Logos, this whole enterprise. I want to, uh, you know, again, if, if you have suggestions, uh, business suggestions, potential uh, suggestions on uh, improving anything, let me know because that's what I'm going to really reflect on this next week while I'm in California, uh, hopefully laying on the beach, laying in the sun, is how I can make this whole thing better, how I can grow it, how um, 
how we as a community, we as a group of people uh, can do better. So that's what I, I wanted to start off with that. So no streams for the next week. Uh, I may be producing a few members only videos. So you may be if you're uh, so that leads into the next thing. Um, if you are a member, if you support Church of the Eternal Logos, the best way you can support right now is to become a website member for $5 a month. I'm going to have some new uh, videos out for members only. I expect those to be up. Uh, I may do a video or two while I'm in California just because it's so hard for me not to work at all. But um, I'm thinking about one of the new things that I want to do as well is do uh, sort of like three hour long private classes. And so one of the things that I want to do when I come back is there's going to be a variety of topics. I'm going to make very detailed PowerPoints. And for $20, $25, people can sign up. We're all going to get inside of a, a Zoom meeting. And for, let's say, an hour and a half, it's going to be a detailed academic presentation with PowerPoint. And uh, we're going to go over stuff. And then for the last hour and a half or the last hour, questions, comments, one-on-one -on -one interactions. <clears throat> but we'll be in a group Zoom meeting with other people that are interested in these things. So, um, so uh, that is that is one of the things. Uh, the other things that I want to again, we'll be doing when I get back. Uh, but if you like what we're doing here at Church of the Eternal Logos, please become a website member. It's the best way to support me. Uh, it's $5 a month. You get access to exclusive video content. Also, I'm over on Rockfin. You can go over to Rockfin and become a website member. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, I don't share all the website content over on Rockfin. I do share some of it. So you'll see some of my premium videos over on Rockfin. Uh, shout out to all the Rockfin crew. Uh, we got five people over there. Um, oh my gosh, Putin, <laughs> I got a super, I got to say this, got a super chat over on the rock of a hundred dollars from Putin. That's his name. Putin says, go in Christ, my brother. Thank you so much, Putin. Shout out to the rock, Rockfin community. Thank you very, very much, brother. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. So, um, so this is what, uh, so if you, again, if you would like to support, please become a website member. It's $5 a month. And when I get back, we're going to be starting, uh, premium memberships. We're going to be doing, uh, it's going to be 20 or $25. And every Thursday for premium members, we're going to be hopping into a single zoom meeting for at least an hour, uh, talking about the state of the world, finances, business connections, skills of, of the other premium members, creating friendships, talking about religion, talking about our devotional lives, talking about, uh, our own spiritual journeys. That's going to be part of this, the premium membership. That Again, I hope to get all this stuff going uh, when I get back. Again, I'm going to use this sort of week off as a, as a refresh, a way to kind of step away, reimagine this whole enterprise, and then come back uh, reinvigorated and creating new things, new content. I hope it's bigger, better, and better uh, than it's ever been. Also, if you guys would be open to setting up a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you can do so with the next uh, with the next link that I just put in there. Um, so please put the, uh, that the, the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, if you'd like to sign up, talk about theology, philosophy, world history, fitness, whatever it be, goal setting, you can do so and have my undivided attention that way. So guys, please smash that like. I truly appreciate everybody that's here. And now let's just get back into our topic. So again, we're talking about, uh, the lost civilization. We're talking about how Christianity really 
in a way was ethically set apart to, to many of the ancient faiths. And we know that the Axial Age was a very important age. Uh, a lot of prominent religious figures. We can look at Confucius, Lao Tzu, uh, you know, uh, Gautama, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Um, and of course, Christ kind of represents the ending of that Axial Age. But um, Christ, God incarnate, uh, the Logos incarnate brought with him a new ethic, a new understanding. And so um, what I want to do is just read to you guys again. I, I do recommend this book again. He's not Christian, uh, but for a great overview of the Silk Road, it really helps crystallize and encapsulate our history, uh, the history of the world, the history of nations, the history of trade. You know, one of the things that I want to do on another stream that uh, was tied to actually doing this stream is talking about how the Silk Road and commerce and trade was tied also not just to the proliferation and the spread of ideas and religions, it was, but also eventually disease itself. We can look at the plague. We can look at diseases. We can look at all this different stuff that the Silk Road allowed it to spread further. And then when we look at our world right now, let's say 2020 in the beginning of the coof, beginning of the, uh, of the old big bad bug that goes around, we live in a totally commercialized, commodified, global world of exchange. And, and they're using that then to suppress and dominate our nations. You see, it's not like the Mongols aren't going around and dominating us. It's not Attila the Hun who's coming around and destroying our civilization. Is that because of this global economic structure through gl global trade, through commodification, through us actually buying things. Sometimes we need it, sometimes we don't. But it's allowed us now to be centralized power so that they can totally manipulate the entire state of global affairs. And I can't help but associate how that is then tied with the Silk Road and the spread of disease. You can think about flying and all this different stuff. So that might be another future stream. I was thinking about that. I was reading this book. But continuing on here, I, I want to read to you guys again a little bit here about the spread of Christianity and how it was seen by the people of the ancient period as it began to grow. And so here we go. Historical accounts of the experience expansion of Christianity across the Mediterranean region are well established, but its early progress was far more spectacular and more promising in the east than it was in the Mediterranean basin, where it spread along the sea lanes. To start with, the Roman authorities left Christians alone, bemused more than anything else by the passion of its early adherents. Pliny the Younger, for example, wrote to the emperor Trajan, in the second century to ask for advice on what to do with these Christians who were brought before him in Asian Minor. Quote, I have never, ta I've never taken part in trials of Christians, he wrote. I quote, therefore do not know what type of punishment is appropriate, nor how far to look into their activities, unquote. He had some of them executed, quote, for I had no doubt that whatever they did or they believe, their stubbornness and their inflexible obstinacy should certainly be punished. Why? Because Christians refused to worship the emperor. Now, there was one group, one group, one special group that was privileged that they didn't have to burn the incense to the emperor. That was the Jews. The Jews didn't have to do that, but they were going to force the Christians to do it. And again, as you read this book, the Persian Empire, as well as the Roman Empire, one of the ways that they were able to spread their empire so far is that they would uh, allow the local religions and the local customs and the local cultures to thrive, to survive. They wouldn't persecute them. 
Now, Christianity was particular because of their obstinacy, their the refusal to worship the emperor, and that was not looked highly upon by the Roman Empire. And that's why Christians were really pointed out. That's why, as we'll get to, they were thrown into the arena. They were thrown in to fight the lions and the gladiators. <clears throat> so, anyways, continuing on. Um, <clears throat> the reply from the emperor advised tolerance. Do not search for Christians, he said. But if they were denounced, deal with them on a case-by-case -case basis. Quote, for it is not possible to set out a set rule. That would apply regardless of circumstance, unquote. But on no account, act on rumor or anonymous assumption. To do otherwise, he wrote lawfully, would, quote, be out of keeping with the spirit of our age. And so, again, the Roman Empire was accepting. They're accepting of many religious beliefs and religious traditions. And so you see here with Trajan, unlike Diocletian, who was absolutely uh, loved killing Christians, Trajan had a much more uh, tolerant viewpoint. Not long after this exchange, however, attitudes hardened, reflecting the deepening penetration of Christianity throughout the Roman society. The imperial military in particular began to view the new religion with its subversive attitudes to sin, with to sex, to death and life in general. Oh my gosh, these Christians, they're not in favor of some of our sexual practices. Again, we know that homosexuality prevalent even in, in, in forms of the Roman military. I watched a recent documentary on Alexander the Great. There is some serious speculation and evidence he himself may have been a homosexual. And so uh, man-boy love was not uncommon in the Greco-Roman world, but Christianity absolutely stood in opposition to this stuff. As a threat to the traditional uh, martial values, from the second century, rounds of brutal persecution saw Christians murdered in the thousands often as part of public entertainment. A rich corpus of texts commemorating the martyrs who lost their lives because of their faith grew up as a result. Early Christians had a battle against prejudice, bridging anguished cries from the writers such as Tertullian, whose appeals have been compared by one distinguished scholar to Shakespeare's Shylock. We, we Christians, quote, live beside you. We share your food, your dress, your customs. We have the same necessities of life as you do, he implored. Just because we do not attend Roman religious ceremonies, he wrote, does not mean we are not human beings. Christianity first spread via the Jewish communities who had lived in Mesopotamia. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
since the Babylonian exile. They receive reports of Jesus' life and death, not in Greek translations, as almost all converts did in the West, but in Aramaic, the language of the disciples and Jesus himself. Just as in the Mediterranean, traders were instrumental in the evangelizing process in the East, in the town of Edessa, modern-day Urfa, and southeastern Turkey became particularly prominent because of its position as a crossroads for routes running north, south, east, and west. Evangelists soon reached the Caucasus, where burial practices and inscriptions in Georgia reveal the existence of substantial populations of Jews who converted to Christianity. Not long afterwards, there were Christian communities dotted around the Persian Gulf. Sixty tombs close to Bahrain, cut into coral banks, show how far the religion had spread by the start of the third century. A text known as the Book of the Laws of the, Count of the Countries, written around the same time, reports that Christians were to be found all over Persia, as so far east of the territory controlled by the Kushans. In other words, into now what is called Afghanistan. The dissemination of the religion was encouraged by large-scale deportations of Christians from Persia during Shapur, the first reign in the third century. Among the exiles were high-profile figures such as Demetrius, the bishop of Antioch, who was transported to Bethlapat, modern uh, Gundashapur, in southwest Iran, where he assembled his fellow Christians around him and established a new bishopric. There were some Christians of high status in Persia, such as Roman, a Roman named Candida, uh, who was a favored concubine of the, of the court until her refusal to abandon her faith led to her martyrdom, according to a Christian account warning of the bloodthirstiness of the Iranian shahs of those around him. These stirring stories fall into a category of literature seeking to establish the superiority of Christian customs and beliefs over these pagan traditional practices. Sources are scant, but we can get a sense of the battles being fought at the time. Unlike the other inhabitants of Persia, wrote one other, the disciples of Christ in Asia do not practice the condemnable habits of these pagan peoples. This was to be welcomed, noted another writer, as a sign of how Christians improved the standards in Persia. And elsewhere in the East, quote, Persians who have become his disciples no longer marry their mothers, while those in the steppes no longer feed on human flesh because of Christ's word, which has come to them, unquote. Such developments ought to be warmly welcomed, he wrote. It was the growing penetration and visibility of Christians in Persia in the middle of the third century that caused Zoroastrian priesthood to react with increasing violence echoing in the response of the Roman Empire. But as Kadir's inscription testifies, attitudes in Persia were starting to harden not just to Christianity, but to other faiths too. Stamping out alternative cosmologies went hand-in-hand hand with the fervent Zoroastrianism that characterized the resurgence of Persia. A state religion was starting to emerge, one that identified Zoroastrianism's values as synonymous with Persian. This was tied again to the Sassanian Empire. Um, so anyways, it goes on, goes on. Nevertheless, Constantine's acceptance of Christianity clearly brought about a sea change in the Roman Empire. The persecutions that had peaked during the reign of Diocletian just a decade or so earlier came to an end. Gladiator fights, long the staple of Roman entertainment, were abolished as a result of Christian revulsion to displays that devalued the sanctity of life. 
quote, bloody spectacles displease us, unquote, reads the extract of a law passed in 325 and recorded in a later compilation of imperial legislation. Quote, we therefore wholly forbid the existence of gladiators, unquote. Those who had previously been sent into the arena as punishment for crimes they had committed or beliefs they refused to abandon were henceforth to be sent to serve and mine so that they will assume the penalty of their crimes without shedding their blood. As resources were lavished upon supporting Christianity across the empire, Jerusalem was singled out for massive building works complete with extravagant endowments. Parts of the city were flattened and soil dug out beneath pagan temples was dumped as far as possible, quote, stained as it was by devil worship. Uh, ev evacuations now revealed or ev yeah, excavations now revealed one holy place after another, including the cave where Jesus had been laid to rest, which was then revenerated, or I mean renovated, and quote, like our Savior, restored back to life. Constantine took charge of these works himself, directing what materials should and should not be part of the construction of the new church, the Holy Sepulchre. The emperor had been willing to delegate the choice to fabrics and adornments of the walls to appointees, but he wanted to be involved in the type of marble to be used and the selection of columns. Quote, I should like to know your opinion, he wrote to Mark uh, Macarius, the bishop of Jerusalem, whether the ceiling should be paneled or decorated in another style of some kind. So anyways, this goes on. And I'm not going to read this whole thing because it'll get a little bit boring, but uh, this is a great book. Again, it, this is not a Christian book. This is a book uh, by a scholar. It's a very prominent book uh, recounting the, the entire history of the Silk Road and global economic trade. But what we see is that uh, in Persia, in the steppes, among a lot of the pagan communities, now eventually Attila and the Huns, they come and they begin to... Uh, destroy civilization quote unquote because at this time what are the major major civilizations you have greco-rome you have egypt you have persia and you have china these are the great empires of the world at the time and we see uh these civilizations were all dramatically affected by christianity again we can look at the jesus sutras and see how the tang dynasty as far as china called it the religion of light it was the religion of light, and, and, and those who were Taoists were very open and accommodating to Christianity. It was actually the Buddhists who saw Christianity as a rival, as they did in Tibet. You can look up again in this book. It talks about uh, the conversion of Tibet, the, the pagan Bon people, the shamanic tradition of the Bon people in Tibet, that they were actually beginning to adopt Christianity, but the, the Buddhists came in with force and forcibly converted them to Buddhism. That's where we get Vajrayana Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, the Dalai Lama. So it's very interesting that Christianity spread not because of the sword. Different than Islam, even different than aspects of Buddhism. Now, Buddhism was warmly welcomed in different regards uh, in, in Central Asia. The people of the steppes, they weren't converted by a sword or anything. They wholly adopted Buddhism. They saw Buddhism as a great religion. But it's very interesting when we look at Christianity did not fight the pagan world, quote unquote, per se, by using a sword and forcing people to convert to Christianity. No, it lived their lives in a certain way. 
They live their lives based on a certain standard, a certain morality, a certain ethic, and in so doing, cause the people around them to not, to one, want them to be part of their communities, but two, then to adopt their practices. The Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the people of the steppes, they would kill the Christians. And yet, by watching these people willingly walk towards their own martyrdom, it caused other people to convert. And so you see Christianity spread in the world. It civilized the world by refusing to become uncivilized. That's what we have to do right now. That's the state of the world. As, we're, as the world's becoming uncivilized, as the world is reverting back to the pre-Christian, pre-pagan, or I mean uh, the ancient pagan, pre-Christian world, we have to, again, there is a sort of parallel. I've heard people talk uh, that, well, there's a kind of a parallel right now between the world that we live in now and the world uh, of the apostles and the world of the, you know, the first 300 years of the church. And, you know, we are not nearly to the persecutive levels that they were, of course. But at the same time, um, we can definitely see that there's a parallel in regards to the paganization, the what I'm again, what I call the progressive regression of the world. Progressivism is the regression away from the civilized mentality, morality, and ethic of Christ, which then the world then adopts, right? You know, what is social justice? Social justice is just like this bastardized form of, of the Christian ethic. It's, it's, it's this ambiguous, uh, non-personal form of the Christian ethic. What, what is human rights? You know, the human rights by the UN and NATO, the same people who then sex traffic children uh, for elite pedophiles. So we see that we're, it's like we're being led, the false light, the Luciferian light, the dark light of the world uses Christian morality or at least rhetoric to Christian morality to fool the world in a way, to get the world to move in one way while it does the exact opposite. You know, and, and that's... You can see that rhetoric with the Ukrainian war. You can see that rhetoric with aspects of the coup. You can see that rhetoric with uh, globalism. Again, globalism is about destroying your nation. You don't get a country. You get regionization. You get 10 regions around the world. Read The Great Reset, COVID-19, The Great Reset. Read Klaus Schwab's book. He tells you. And we're about to have 10 regions of the world. We're doing away with, with uh, countries the same ten toes of the beast. What does the book of Revelation talk about? Ten regions of the world. Are we in the end times? I don't know. I'm not going to go there. I don't know. I'll leave that to people who are more pious, more righteous, and more informed than myself. But it is interesting to see that part of this globalist agenda and this regionification of the world, regionizing the world into ten regions, goes hand in hand with things that are referenced in the book of Revelations that... Uh, that we're going to enter into 10 regions and that's going to be the 10 toes of the beast and it's going to be the beast system and the beast itself is again is reversion back to the paganism it's a back to the to the beastful world that Christ came to dominate to conquer to kill the death cult through his death he brought life through death because the world was enwrapped in death the death cult so uh you know it, it, it's just I could be totally off my rocker, but this is how I'm seeing it right now. You know, I'm seeing it that we literally are reverting back to the pre-Christian world and that there is such a, um, 
a uh, will, there, there's an ignorance to the impact, to the moral and ethical impact that Christianity really has had on history. You know, what, what all these treaties and these global alliances that we've had, especially post-World War II, before World War II, you know, the West's influence on the world, right? This idea of liberty and freedom. Well, of course, it's been, again, totally tainted and taken in a direction that certainly isn't Christian. But the even reason it appeals is because it comes from the liberating force of Christ's message itself. So, uh, yeah. I, that's kind of just how I'm seeing things. Again, maybe you guys, uh, you see it. Maybe you you feel differently. Um, you know that that's fine. Uh, let's let's. I got a few things here. Again, if you look at the definition of civilization, you'll see civilizations are intimately associated with additional characteristics. Uh, you know, communication beyond natural language, such as writing, domestication of plant and animal species. The, the biblical. Right. Biblical agrarian activities, having animals, having land, you know, private property is biblical. But what's the global reset? What's the great reset? You'll own nothing and you'll like it. Why? Because this whole thing is the exact opposite of Christ. And that's what the Antichrist is. That's what the Antichrist is going to be. He's going to embody this entire system that is directly opposite of Christ. Yet through rhetoric, through mirrors, through reflections, through distortions, people are going to think of themselves as more virtuous. They're going to think of themselves as more moral. Oh, well, I get jabbed and I force masks on everybody because I care about people. No, you don't. You don't care about people. You don't care about what's right. You don't care about truth. It's about authority. It's about compliance. And people who comply to the beast hate when people don't comply to the beast. That's what we've seen. It's, it, it's plain as day. And we have to be the civilizing force. Despite the world becoming uncivilized, we cannot conform to them. We must conform to Christ. And hopefully people will change their minds and conform to Christ as well. And they'll join our side. I had a few different things here. You know, if you look at the, the word civility and civilization, you know, civility meaning not barbarous, civilized. Uh, the 1950, uh, specifically relating to the common, uh, the commonwealth, secularizing again, that's the 1960s before that, you know, the, the civilis and Latin relating to a society pertaining to public life, relating to civic order, befitting a citizen, hence the extension of popular, of uh, being courteous, right? This is a big courteous and meant to be courteous. Civil literally applies to one who fills the duty of a citizen, but I feel my duty as a citizen to help other people, right? It, it, in, a, in a regard, being civil is my care for and honor and respect for another person. It's about courte being courteous. Courteous is thus more commonly said uh, of superiors, um, you know, being polite, all this different stuff. Okay. Civilization, civilized, to bring out of barbarism. What does it mean to be civilized? To bring out of barbarism, to introduce order and civil organization among and refine and enlightened. That comes from the old French. That's what the Logos does. 
That's why the Logos became a man, is to bring us out of the historic barbarism, to introduce us into that epistemological, that objective metaphysical order, sacred geometry, mathematics, pi Fibonacci, cymatics. There is an objective order to reality. And we see that we are going directly, our, our Supreme Court nominees don't even know what a woman is. Yet then she claims that she's married to a man. How do you know? How do you know? Is he married to a woman? How do you know? You see, they, they don't. They don't. And so there's a good article here that I was going to share with you guys. This is um, a, a PhD from PhDSA.com, The Impact of Christianity. Um, um, the Impact of Christianity on Western Civilization. And again, the West, it was not, uh, you know, not the Persians, the Chinese, even the people, of the steppes, uh, the people of the Caucasus region who were civilized, uh, the Greco-Romans. Nobody looked to Europe. Nobody looked to Western Europe and thought, oh, those people up there, they really got it going on. No, they were all tribal. They were all pagan. And it was, it was Christianity and the adoptance of Christianity that, that unified and detribalized Europe. But at the same time, again, this loss of civilization, we see that it's going back to tribalization. The influence of Christianity on Western civilization, the positive influence of Christianity is far-reaching, especially in the rich history of Western civilization, despite a long-standing ignorance or adamant denial of its contributions. And, and that's what... I listened to a little bit of Jay's stream today on these pagans. It's hard to listen. I can only take a little bit of it. These modern-day pagans, it's so stupid. It's so dumb. It's so low IQ. I can't really deal with it that well. Um, so uh, Schmidt is about—Schmidt says this is about— uh, and th so this, he's talking about Alvin Schmidt from the book, How Christianity Changed the World. Okay, so Alvin Schmidt, that's who he's referring to. Schmidt says this is about the profound impact Christianity has had on the development of Western civilization. Quote, no other religion, philosophy, teaching, nation, movement, whatever, has so changed the world for better as Christianity has done. Its shortcomings, clearly conceded by this author, are nevertheless heavily outweighed by its benefits to all of mankind. Contrary to the, the historical text treatment of the subject, Christian influence on values, beliefs, and practices in Western culture are abundant and well ingrained in the flourishing society of today. Um, it seems to be no awareness that the liberties and rights that are currently operative in free societies of the West are to a great degree to the result of Christianity's influence. Now, again, we can definitely agree that the libertarianism, the lack of a social moral code, all this stuff has been eroded. Why? Because back in the day, again, even though I'm very critical of the Enlightenment, I'm very critical of the Renaissance, uh, because I, I see the Renaissance as really the, the beginning of the sort of paganization um, the moving away from traditionality. Uh, you, you could even point to scholasticism before the Renaissance, yada, yada. There's a lot of points. You could point to the Great Schism before. A lot of things you could point to. At the same time, we can't uh, idolize the Byzantine Empire. You can look at the iconoclast. Lot, you know, we've had multiple bad em emperors in the, in the Byzantine Empire. So we have to be nuanced. We have to be specific. We have to really look for details here. But... Um, 
But we can definitely see that when there is a homogeneity of general religious beliefs, when when America, for example, the freest society, was was by far dominantly all Christians. There was basically Protestant and there was Catholicism. And they obviously didn't agree with each other a whole lot. And I, and I would say this is that, that fracturing. Since the schism, since the great schism, this fracturing has been a, a detriment to Christianity and its positive influence on the world because as it fractures, we see the loss of civilization move a little further, a little further, a little further, and now there's infinite interpretations. There, you know, what is Christianity now? It's hard to say. And so, uh, but clearly when there was a homogeneity of cultural values, freedom or liberty to the extent that it existed was okay because we shared a social ethic. There was a social fabric there that was understood based on our understanding of tradition and religion. Now, well, what is the basis it's the worship of myself. It's it's commodification. It's it's consumption. It's consumerism. It's magic. It's it's pleasure. It's hedonism. It's power. It's money. It's greed. History is replete with examples of individuals who acted as a law unto themselves, often curtailing, even obliterating the natural rights and freedoms of the country's citizens. Christianity's influence, however, set into motion the belief that man is accountable to God and that the law is the same, regardless of status. More than a thousand years before the birth of Christ, the biblical requirement given by Moses comprised an essential component of the principle that no man is above the law. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused at any time or of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15 Thus, the accuser, regardless of position in society, could not arbitrarily incarcerate or execute the accused and was himself subject to the law. And we see again what the point being made is that the law of the Old Testament is a sort of prefiguring, a typology, a, a normalization of this understanding of God's, uh, God's objective structure. And this is that objective moral ethic that Christ brought to the world. This is what I'm arguing civilized the world. And so... Um, and guys, and I'm not going to read the entire uh, this entire article. This article is actually fairly long. That's why I shared it with you guys. So if you want to read the rest of this, feel free. I'm just going to skim through here and read a little bit more. And then we're going to hop into Super Chats. Um, but the New Testament also mandated two or more witnesses in ecclesiastical matters regarding an erring and Christian, uh, an erring Christian in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. The criminal injustice system of many free countries today employ this Christian requirement of having witnesses testify. And in British and American ju uh, jurisprudence, witnesses are part of the due process of the law, a legal concept first appearing under King Edward III in the 14th century. One startling example of the concept that no man is above the law is seen in the conflict between the Christian Emperor Theodosius the Great and St. Ambrose. It happened in 300 AD. Some in Thessalonica rioted and aroused the anger of the emperor who overreacted by slaughtering approximately 7,000 people, most of whom were innocent. Bishop Andrews asked the emperor to repent, and when the the Theodosius refused, the bishop excommunicated him. 
After a month, Theodosius prostrated himself and repented in Ambrose's cathedral. Often mistaken as a struggle of power between church and state, the evidence in which Ambrose's letter to the emperor cited sole concern for the emperor's spiritual welfare conclude this as being the first instance of applying the principle that no one, even the emperor, is above the law of God. The Magna Carta served as a courageous precedent some 500 years later to the American patriots and the creation of a unique government in the United States. Now again, the United States, founded by many were Masons, many were Deists. So again, I point this to this the great schism and even the great schism. I mean, uh, the Pope, the papacy, it coronated Charlemagne in the ninth century. It was what? 800, 801 when Charlemagne was coronated by, by the Pope as, as the King of the Holy Roman empire. So I see this fracturing as the, again, the, the reversion away slowly, but surely the reversion away from Christ. <sighs> The charter signed in 1215 at uh, Runnymede by King John granted a number of rights never held before this historic occasion, including that, quote, one, justice could no longer be sold or denied to free men who were under authority of barons. Two, no taxes could be levied without representation. Three, no one would be imprisoned without a trial. And four, property could not be taken from the owner without just compensation. Now, again, we know that none of this stuff actually exists anymore. Uh, all this stuff, uh, we, we, are, we absolutely are subject to the authority of barons. I mean, the Biden family would be an obvious example of that. Uh, taxes, we're, we're not, who's, who represents me? Who represents my values, even in the American government? Not many, not, I, you know, not any that I fully know of. No one would be imprisoned without a trial. Are trials even real anymore? I mean, half of our judges are, are political advocates. And then four, property could not be taken from the owner without just compensation. We, we know that's a joke now, and that definitely doesn't exist. The Magna Carta had important uh, Christian... Uh, important Christian... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hold on, I lost it. The Magna Carta had important Christian ties as demonstrated by the preamble that began, quote, John, by the grace of God, dot, 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 unquote, and stated that the charter was formulated out of the reverence for God and the salvation of our soul and those of all our ancestors and heirs and the honor of God and the exaltation of the Holy Church and the reform of our realm on the advice of our reverend church fathers. 
This document also followed the precedent established in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, in which Christian bishops wrote and adopted a formal code of fundamental beliefs to which all Christians were expected to adhere. The Magna Carta displayed what its formulators as Christians expected of the king and his subjects regarding civic liberties. Natural law is a concept with a long history dating back to the Greco-Roman philosophers. Despite some variations among the philosophers, one point of agreement was understood as, quote, that process in nature by which human beings, through the use of sound reason, were able to perceive what was morally right and wrong. With the emergence of Christianity, common law was clarified to state that, quote, natural law was not an entity by itself, but part of God's created order in nature through which he made all rational human beings aware of what is right and wrong. The Apostle Paul expressed this in the New Testament book of Romans, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Romans 2, 14 through 15, Martin Luther stated, Why does one then teach the Ten Commandments? Because the natural laws were never so orderly and well written as by Moses. And so that's going to be where I'm going to conclude today's stream, guys. Again, if you want to read the rest of this article, you can do so uh, right here with uh, that link there. I'm going to now hop into uh, Super Chats and uh, Chit Chat before getting off here. So if anybody would like to uh, throw in a Super Chat, if you'd like to support the stream, uh, please do so. Uh, again, this is going to be the last stream probably for a week. I'll be leaving for California to spend time with my girlfriend uh, from tomorrow morning until uh, basically Thursday. I get back I leave uh, California Wednesday night, so Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So probably won't be till Friday of next week that I will be uh, able to stream. So it's going to be a while. So it's going to be a while before I'll be back. Again, I want to say uh, I want to take this time away this next week to really re-envision Church of the Eternal Logos. I really want to do better. Uh, create better streams, come up with better topics, create better content. Um, so uh, again, if you have good suggestions, I, I want to have a better business. I want to have a better website. I want to do better. I want to re-envision this whole enterprise. So if you have suggestions, like I said, we're going to do premium memberships. We're going to do uh, one on, or we're going to do group classes in Zoom uh, with PowerPoints and I'm going to have a reading list. I'm going to have lectures understanding those reading lists. So one of the things I plan on doing also when I come back is I'm going to have a reading list on all the topics, Buddhism, Hinduism, Orthodox Christianity, uh, occultism, Western esotericism, philosophy. And I'm going to give at least five books, five to 10 books uh, that I highly recommend on these topics. And then I'm going to do videos that can be purchased um, to Oh, introduce these topics with references to these books. So, you know, sometimes you dive into books, it's confusing. You know, if you haven't read a bunch of philosophy, 
Uh, it's a little confusing. You don't know exactly what you're reading. Uh, you haven't read. You don't know who Kukai is. You never heard of Shingon Buddhism. You're not familiar with Pure Land. You're not familiar with Chan Buddhism. You don't know what the difference between Theravada and Mahayana uh, and Vajrayana. It's a little bit confusing to start diving into Buddhism. Uh, so uh, that's going to be also available at the website. Hopefully, I'm going to jump on all these different things when I get back. Um, so yeah, guys, please smash that like. Thank you guys so much for all the support. I truly, truly do appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and thank you guys for all the support. I, I really, really, really do appreciate all the support. It means so much to me. You know, I love coming on here. I love reading my books. I love doing my research. I love sharing my ideas with you guys. And so, uh, I can't really imagine, uh, doing anything else. And so I, I want to create better content for you guys. I want to create better streams, better videos. And I, I want to turn this into a real business. I want to, uh, I want to be more professional. I want it to be better than it is already. So, um, if you have, if you have suggestions, feel free to email me free for all to leave comments underneath the video. Uh, feel, you know, feel free to, uh, reach out to me on social media, whatever it be. I I'm, I'm definitely open. Um, I'm, my ears are open to criticism. Uh, if you have ideas for better, better, uh, ways I, I can go about presenting information or topics, uh, let me know, let me know. I'm definitely here to improve. So again, thank you guys so much for all the support. Thank you to everybody who super chats. Thank you to everybody who, who supported me. Um, I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's dive into some of these super chats. Um, let's see here. Um, okay, so I want to give a special shout out to uh, Putin. Uh, so Putin throws in a super chat over on The Rock. Shout out to The Rock fan. Uh, really appreciate everybody over on The Rock fan who's watching. We got seven, seven great people over on The Rock. So shout out to you guys. And I want to say that Putin threw in $100 over on The Rock and says, Go in Christ, my brother. And so thank you for Putin's $100 contribution. Thank you very much, Putin. Um, I really appreciate that. First super or next super chat uh, here on YouTube comes from William Von Ark. Shout out to William Von Ark. Hey, brother. Uh, this coming Sunday, I'll be at the church. I'm not going to say what church, uh, but he knows the church. William Von Ark, I know he's in the L.A. area. God bless you and your son, brother. Hope everybody's doing well. Definitely come to church this Sunday. I'm going to be talking to you and Cornell. Uh, so we'll all be there uh, this coming Sunday. I'll be back in L.A. So uh, William Von Ark, definitely go to church this Sunday. We got We got to catch up. William Von Ark throws in 1999 and says, what's up, man? Just tuned in. Love your channel. Keep up the good word slash work. May God bless you. Well, may God bless you, William, and your son. Uh, really looking forward. Again, go to church this coming Sunday. I will see you there. And one of the other exciting things I'm going to do is, uh, you know, I stay with my, Dr. Mo, Michael Moeller, uh, one of my good friends, and we and my girlfriend, we're going to be going and meeting Father Josiah Trenum. So I'm very excited to go down to Riverside, and I'm very excited to go to St. Andrew's Church. Uh, I don't know. If, is it a cathedral or church? I'm not sure, but I'm really excited. I'm going to meet um, I'm going to meet Father Josiah Trinum this trip. I'm really excited. We don't know if we're going to go to – probably end up going to a Vesper service, uh, either a Vesper or if he has uh, a, like a pre-sanctified. We may go to a pre-sanctified liturgy or – 
or something like that. But yeah, I'm really excited to uh, meet Father Josiah Trenum. Um, so that's definitely one of the highlights on the trip as well. Uh, so we'll be going to church multiple times, and Sunday, William, we'll be at your church. So make sure you go so uh, we can definitely chit-chat in person. Next Super Chat comes from The Green Feather. Shout out to Nick. Shout out to The Green Feathers. God bless you, brother. Hope you're doing well. Hope your arthritis isn't acting up. God bless your family. Uh, hope, hope you're doing good. He says, awesome stream, brother. The lesson to all of history, Christ is victor, Christ is king. Amen to that. Guys, make sure you go follow our, our good buddy, uh, The Green Feathers, and support his content, another YouTube channel here on uh, here on YouTube. Um, so make sure you support him. Give him a shout-out. Uh, and, uh, and God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. You've been such a uh, continual supporter of the stream, man. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much, uh, the Green Feathers. Thank you for everything you do, man. I really look forward to it. And, guys, I also want to say I just bought my tickets to Montanica, so uh, I'll be I'll be flying into Montana. If you guys don't know, go to Patristic Faith, buy your tickets. Uh, Montanica this year, Orthodox Montanica is myself, uh, Whitcoff, uh, Father Deacon Doctor, Abbot Trefon, Abbot Trefon. I cannot wait to meet Abbot Trefon. I cannot wait to go up to him and get a blessing from Abbot Trefon in Montana. And Metropolitan Jonah, I can't wait to meet Metropolitan Jonah. So Metropolitan Jonah, Abbot Trefon, Michael Whitcoff, Father Deacon, and myself, we're all going to be at Orthodox Montanica this year. If you register and you buy your tickets early right now, they're $70. If you wait later, if there's going to be any tickets available later, they're going to be $100. So you can save yourself 30%. You can save yourself $30 by going over to Patristic Faith and getting your Montanica tickets. Uh, I've already got my plane ticket, so I'll be coming in. Uh, Montanica is on the 17th, 18th, 19th, 17, 18, 19th is Montanica on June, June 17th, 18th, 19th. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got my tickets today, so I will be flying in on the morning of the 16th. So I'll be there all day 16th. Then 17th, I present, uh, Metropolitan Jonah, Abbot Trefon on the 18th, and then 19th we go to church, and I'll be flying out the, the night of the 19th. So I'm really excited. I can't wait to meet everybody at Orthodox Montanica again. We had a great time last year, so uh, really excited about that. That will be in June. Again, June 17th, 18th, 19th. Tickets are on sale right now for $70. Uh, go to, go to patristicfaith.com and get yourself a ticket. Again, I know you guys want to be uh, Metropolitan Jonah and Abbot Trefon. Do it. I cannot wait to meet Abbot Trefon. I'm telling you, I'm going to be him and Father Josiah. I'm going to be like a little kid. I know it's totally inappropriate to go up to clergy and go, hey, I'm a big fan of yours, but, <laughs> but I am. So really excited about that. <clears throat> Next super chat comes from Thomas Henderson. Shout out to Thomas Henderson, brother. You've been such, again, another continual supporter of the stream. I really appreciate it. God bless you, Thomas. He throws in $10 and says, boils down to a battle between Christ and chaos, orthodoxy and nihilism, Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus Barabbas. Oh, revolution is about a return to a pre-Christian era, a throwback. 
modernity and post-modernity is revolutionary. Whoa, what a powerful, powerful comment. Shout out to Thomas Henderson. I got to read this one again and slowly. This is such a good comment. Again, this comes from Thomas Henderson. Shout out to Thomas Henderson. He says, boils down to a battle between Christ and chaos, orthodoxy and nihilism, Jesus of Nazareth, truth, and Jesus Barabbas, the rebel. Revolution is about a return to a pre-Christian era, a throwback. Modernity and post-modernity is revolutionary. And isn't that the truth? Man, that is so spot on. Shout out to Thomas Henderson. Really love that comment, brother. God bless you and your family. Again, not sure where you're at in the world, but if you're able to go to Montana, man, do it. Um, really, uh, really appreciate that. Yeah, great comment, Thomas. Thank you so much, brother, for all your support. Thank you, Thomas Henderson. Next super chat comes from Michael Maria. Oh, shout out to Michael and Maria. I, God bless you guys. Again, long supporters of the stream, book club members. I know we've been talking about we're going to do a book club. It, I've just been so busy, and it's just so time-consuming. But I do still want to do a book club. We may do that again when I come back. I may re- re-envision that. We were going to do Dostoevsky, uh, probably the brothers Kar- uh, Karamazov. Um, we may still do it. We may still do it, but... Shout out to Michael and Maria. God bless you guys. Hope you're doing well. Hope your family's doing well. Hope your son's doing well in his new journey into orthodoxy. Uh, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for all your support. Michael and Maria thrown $20 and said, enjoyed the talk tonight. Looking forward to premium membership. Hope you keep book club for us hardcore codalites. <laughs> Enjoy your trip prayers. Well, thank you so much, Michael Maria. See, I didn't even read your, your, uh, super chat yet. I, I do want to do the book club. I love the book club. And as we know, the book club started, we were, we read the master Margarita and the book club started. I think there was 14 of us by the end of it. There was like four or five of us. One was, you know, it was like me and my girlfriend and then like three or four other people. Uh, but it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, so I would love to do another book club. I, 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 I do want to give me, give me a, a month, give me another month. Cause I want to redo my website. I want to create some new, new stuff for the website, create some new products, create a, a premium membership, uh, for members. And then, uh, and then once I get all that settled and get the, re- the, the website redone, yes, we need to read the brothers Karamazov because I don't know if you guys saw, but it was like the university of Milan, they like banned Dostoevsky. They stopped teaching about Dostoevsky because of the Ukrainian-Russian war. It's like, what? Because because Russia invaded Ukraine? You're going to stop teaching Dostoevsky? What the heck? So even though we were kind of going back and forth on books, we definitely got to read Dostoevsky, whether it be The Idiot or Demons. Um, I think we should just tackle the thousand-page book of the Brothers Karamazov and just dive into it as a group. So... If you guys are listening, we're definitely going to be doing that in the future. Just give me give me a solid month. Give me a solid month to reorganize everything, regroup, produce new stuff for the website, produce new memberships, and then we'll do a book club. We'll do a, another book club with uh, the Brothers Karamazov. We're going to go through all 1,000 pages. So um, so anyway, yeah, Rat Splatigan. <laughs> I'll keep your name anonymous, but shout out Rat Splatigan. Uh, again, brother, I hope you're going to Montana again this year. 
Rat Splat again. I met him and his wife last year. I hope you're coming again this year, brother. Uh, would really, really love to see you again and spend time together. Um, again, and, and Abbott Trifon's going to be there with us. So Rat Splat again. I hope you and your wife are coming to Montanica again this year. I, I really look forward to seeing you guys again. We had a great time last year. Uh, and I know you guys aren't too far away. I know you're in Utah. So you're not too far away. I hope you make it to Montana. Uh, I know if you're busy, I get it. I get it. But I hope to see you again in Montana. Rat Splatigan, shout out to you, brother. And again, and shout out to Michael Maria. Thank you guys so much. Rat Splatigan is a, again, he's another committed book club member. Uh, so Rat Splatigan knows what's up. Uh, um, next super chat comes in from Jed Eid. And he throws in 1999. Thank you very much, Jed Eid. I don't think you've ever super chatted before. He says, DPH, looking forward to the Buddhism clips. My younger brother thinks Buddhist cosmology is superior to the Christian view. Need to read up or refer him to your work. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I definitely don't think the Buddhist cosmology is superior, obviously, or I would be a Buddhist. Um, and two, Buddhism is much more complicated and pluralistic than just Buddhism. There's Theravada, Mahayana, Vajrayana, and then all those three main branches, those are broken into other branches. Um, are you talking about Zen? Are you talking about Shingon? Are you talking about Chan? Are you talking about Pure Land? Um, and so it, it's, it's more pluralistic. Uh, you know, Vajrayana does have deities. Other aspects don't have deities. Mahayana, generally speaking, divinizes the Buddha. Theravada tries not to. Um, so a lot of different, uh, differences there, but generally speaking, um, the world is still illusionary. It's still Maya if you're Buddhist or Hindu. And so if that's the case, uh, objective epistemology is certainly a struggle. Um, and, uh, also I, I don't believe that all desire is suffering to me. That's a fundamental misnomer because I believe, uh, the desire to protect my children, the desire for Christ, the desire for uh, eternal life, the desire to help people. Uh, I think suffering is due to the fall and suffering is a consequence of everything we do due to the fall and due to our fallen nature. But I don't see all desire as suffering itself. This I, At the same time, orthodoxy definitely asserts and uh, 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 advances asceticism as what B Buddhism also does. But um, I just don't see, I think Buddhism, it's like, it's a very easily consumeristic religion. It has a lot of really interesting things. And there's, then there's many truths that are also present in Christianity that may be present in Buddhism. But, uh, I just don't see Christian Buddhism. Uh, it, it's not going to convert the world. It's not going to, you know, there's a reason why certain religions have much more appeal than other religions. So, I'm definitely going to have a, a book list on reading about Buddhism, the best books. I probably have about eight or ten that I'll recommend, and then I'll do a, a video uh, going over those and and really unpacking. You know, a, a, we want to steel man. We want to steel man Buddhism. We want to steel man Hinduism. We want to steel man all these religions so that when we uh, do apologetics against it, we we demonstrate that we're we're, we're going to provide it its best argument. And then show why, well, I, it doesn't, you know, it's not satisfactory in my, in my worldview. And, and one of them is also going to be or, on orthodoxy. So I'll, I'll have a list of my favorite orthodox books 
and do an introduction to Orthodox theology, of which most of you guys watching won't need that. So, but John E, you know, pray for your brother. Uh, certainly, it's always good. I, I always support learning more about the world religion so you can do better apologetics against them. So, um, you know, read, read, make sure you learn about orthodoxy, read your Bible, read about the saints, read about theology, but learning about these other world religions, you have to, again, that's what our church fathers did. You have to know them, you have to steel man them, and that's the best way that you're going to be able to convert people that are inside those. So doing your own reading, uh, certainly that'd be good. I'll have my reading list up again after I get back from my trip and pray for your younger brother. Um, I'm sure there's other reasons why he's interested in Buddhism much more than a sort of deep dive, serious investigation into theology, uh, because I, I would argue that it's certainly wanting. I would, I would argue that most Western people, their, their minds aren't even conditioned to appropriately understand Buddhism, that it, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, Buddhism, well, but I won't even get into it. That'll be, I, I'm going to do another stream. I'll do a stream when I get back on Buddhism. So, Johnny, thank you so much, brother, for the 1999. Again, he says, DPH, looking forward to the Buddhism clips. My younger brother thinks Buddhist cosmology is inferior to the Christian view. Need to read up and refer him to your work. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely keep that in mind, and I'll do a stream when I get back on Buddhism specifically. Um, I, I personally thought the, the most interesting school of Buddhism is Shingon, and that's, that's following a gentleman named Kukai. And Kukai got he got very interested in into Chan Buddhism, and he mixed it with sort of pagan esoteric elements, and Shingon Buddhism became the sort of theurgic form of religion of the imperial dynasty in Japan, of which was Shinto. Shinto is a nature religion, uh, but they believed in the efficacy of Shingon so much. But that's that's neither here nor there. But we're going to definitely dive into all that stuff. Jared Fetzer, shout out to Jared Fetzer, brother. God bless you and your your family. Hope you're doing well. He throws in $5 and says, love the stream about Christ being the reason for civilization. It helped me out as sometimes I just want to rebel and fight this satanic system with violence, but Christ calls us to higher standards to fight with prayer and loving our enemies. Exactly, Jared. And that's the hardest thing. And that's the hardest thing. But at the same time, that not that why Christianity spread? So how ironic, right? Uh, as the pagan world killed Christians, Christians didn't conform to the pagan world, and in so doing, other people converted. Islam fought the pagan world, or Jews, or Christians, or whoever, or Buddhists, with the sword, and basically threatening the life of people if they don't convert with the sword, and that's how Islam spread, you know? And, and I think keep an eye on Persia, you know, modern-day Iran, It'd be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see if the next hundred years, if they'll still be Muslim or, or how that, you know, how that's going to work out. I think there's a lot of fervor in their in their society to, to move either to Christianity or go back to Zoroastrianism or or something. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, Islam has had a unifying but sort of in a way a stultifying effect on persia you know when we talk about the islamic golden age that was uh that was a islamic persian golden age um really had little to do with islam and more to do with persia uh but anyway that's neither here nor there but yeah jared thank you so much brother shout out to you and your family hope i hope everybody's doing well and your beautiful kids god bless you brother 
Last super chat comes from Harry Serpanos. Throws in $10 and says, thanks, mate, and God bless you. Well, thank you so much, Harry Serpanos. I really appreciate it. Uh, never seen your name, so I think this is your first super chat. So thank you very much, brother, for supporting the stream. I really appreciate it. Guys, please smash that like. Smash that like. And um, and uh, I'm going to get out of here. So, uh, you know, if pray for uh, safe travels. Uh, you know, God willing, I'll be able to have safe travels. And I'm really looking forward to getting back and getting getting uh, back into the hot seat here, the captain's seat, making more content and being better than ever. So uh, God bless everybody. Please smash that like. I really appreciate it. Shout out, special shout out to Harry Serpanos. Special shout out to Jared Fetzer and his beautiful family. Shout out to John Ede uh, and his younger brother. Hope, uh, hope he sees the light, so to speak. Special shout out to Michael and Maria. Thank you guys. God bless your family. And and even though and, and shout out to Rat Splat again. Uh, again, hardcore book club member. Uh hard, the hardcore Codalites, uh, as Mar Michael and Maria says. Again, thank you guys so much for all your support. Shout out to Thomas Henderson, longtime supporter of the stream. And shout out to the Green Feathers. Uh in, in your beautiful family, brother. Hope you're feeling well. Hope your arthritis isn't acting up. And shout out to William Von Ark who I, again, go to church Sunday, brother. I will be there. And then special shout-out over on The Rock to Putin. Uh, shout-out to Putin, who uh, threw in a super chat. So that's going to do it tonight, guys. Again, I hope you enjoyed the stream. Smash that like, and I will be back in a little over a week. Uh, it's going to be a week and uh, a week and a couple days. So really looking forward to it. But until then, again, if you'd like to support, please become a website member. It's $5 a month. I got exclusive video content. It could maybe keep you satisfied for a week until I get back. If you'd like to see some exclusive content, uh, become a website member for $5. You can check out all those videos. And then by the time you get done with all those videos, I'll be back. So God bless everybody. Uh, have a blessed Lent. Uh, make sure you go to church, and I will see you all next week. So until then, as always.